Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts. The New Testament book of Acts in chapter number 26. The New Testament book of Acts in chapter number 26. We've been traveling with the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul is almost at a standstill. He was arrested in Jerusalem about two years ago, and um, they tried to put him on a trial, but they could not do anything to convict him. And so the current governor of uh, Felix had kept him in prison for two years, just kind of hoping that Paul would raise up a bribe and he would have released him. After two years, Felix was replaced with a new Roman governor by the name of Festus. Now, Festus had nothing... No knowledge of Jewish customs or traditions of Christianity. He knew nothing of this. He just knew that as soon as he stepped into office, uh, he'd only been there a couple days when the high priest came up to him and said, Hey, there's this guy named Paul. Can we have him back? We'll take him off your hands. Uh, uh, And during that time, Festus says, Well, I'm curious. I want to hear what's going to happen. And two weeks with him taking office, there's almost a riot. He finds out that... The Apostle Paul's innocent, uh, but he was trying to play politics and says, here, I'll give you Paul uh, if that will make you happy. The, um, the Jewish people wanted to kill him, but then a king got put in the plans. Paul realized that politics was being played, and so he said, send me to Caesar. He, As a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to Caesar. And so now Festus was in a rock and a high place. If he let... Um, Paul go, there'd be riots in the streets. And there was already riots going on. And he was trying to, he was sent there to calm the riots down, not to add to it. He had on one hand, the Jewish people who wanted to kill Paul. He had Paul who was innocent, uh, but is stuck. Now he has to write a letter to Nero, the Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire. And he had to write a convincing letter to explain why he sent Paul to go before Caesar's court, and if it was found that there was no real charges, then Festus would be in trouble. By the way, that all happened within two weeks of Festus taking charge. What a bad two weeks to start off with. And so what Festus does is he runs into King Agrippa II, who's in charge of the Palestine area, and he says, hey, you know all about this. Can you help me? I need to write a letter. I need to figure out what's going on. Can you help me in... And Agrippa said, I would love to talk to this Apostle Paul. And so they set up with a lot of pomp and a lot of circumstance. And they start the trial of the Apostle Paul once again. And so pick it up with me in the book of Acts chapter 26. And we can start as the Apostle Paul is now given the opportunity to give his testimony of what is occurring. So notice with me in Acts 26 and notice with me in verse number 1. Acts 26 and verse 1. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert and all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was from at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, which known uh, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they were to testify that after the most strictest or straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night, hoping to come for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. 
Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelling them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even to strange cities whereupon as i went to damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday o king i saw in the way a light from heaven and above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me and when we were all fallen to the earth i heard a voice speaking unto me saying in the hebrew tongue saul saul why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand up upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith which that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than that which is in the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Jesus should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and shall show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And this... He thus spake for himself. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he, he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the kings knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were all, both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death nor of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Acts chapter 26? The book of Acts 26. And notice with me in verse 28. Acts 26 and verse 28, where King Agrippa says this, Almost thou persuadest me. Almost thou persuadest me. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach this message about almost persuaded. Almost persuaded. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who indeed is worthy of worship and worthy to be served. And as if we come to you now, I'm asking that you order my thoughts. That you set them in order. That you would make it very clear, Lord, this, this message here. 
that you would search out our own hearts, that we would not be almost persuaded, but we'd be fully convinced that these things are true. That if someone in here does not know without a doubt that they're going to heaven, let this be nailed down today and let it be very clear that they need to trust you. As for the rest of us, help us to be fully persuaded that we need to be telling people our story about what you did for us and that we would tell people about you, that you would draw people to yourself. Lord, even now, I recognize I need your help. Be with my mind, my thoughts, my lips. I give them to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit and that once again, you would get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And we do love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, poor Festus is in a dilemma. He doesn't know what to do with the Apostle Paul. So he brings King Agrippa. And King Agrippa says, man, I'd love to hear this Apostle Paul. In fact, notice with me as we run into this uh, beginning of the trial here in the book of Acts chapter 25. Acts 25. And notice with me in verse number 22. Acts 25 and verse 22. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear this man myself. Tomorrow, said he, that's Festus, thou shalt hear him. So Agrippa said, hey, I heard about your problem. You told me all about it. Man, I want to hear this Apostle Paul. I want to hear this guy. And Festus says, all right, let's organize it for tomorrow. So tomorrow shows up. Notice with me in verse number 23. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come and Bernice, that's his wife, with great pomp. So basically, that's a big attention. Basically, they throw in um, a big circus. They have people with trumpets. They have a herald coming in. Here's King Agrippa II, who happens to be the great-grandson of Herod the Great. And then his sister, who is also his wife, Bernice. And they come in, and everyone's cheering them. The king of the Jews, they're all here. They sit down with great pomp. And was entered in into the chief captains and principal men of the city. And Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. So after this big circumstance, they bring Paul to stand before this court. So you have the king, his wife. You have Festus, the governor. You have chief captains. You have a lot of people who are showed up just to hear this Paul guy. Verse 24, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man about whom all the multitudes of the Jews have dealt with me, both of Jerusalem and also here crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and he himself hath appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him. So basically, he makes a big deal. He says, all these Jewish people have said this guy is worthy of death. I've examined him, found nothing worthy of death. He's appealed to Caesar, and I'm going to send him there. But you have an opportunity to hear this man before I send him forth. Verse 26, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore, I have brought him forth before you and specifically before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. So they lay it down. They say, you go ahead and hear Paul. After you hear Paul, you tell me what to write down to Nero so that way I don't get in trouble. All right? So they had this big thing show up. They have lots of people showed up. If you could almost imagine a courtroom, a courtroom with a bunch of people there. Now, Paul is brought to the spotlight. They bring him here and they say, Paul, you're allowed to speak to yourself. uh, Chapter 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy. Basically, he says, I'm glad to tell you what happened to me. And what Paul is going to do is that he is going to give his personal testimony of how he came to know the Lord. And that's the first thing I'd like to show you here is Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony. Now, we try to teach people how to give their testimony. That a proper testimony of how you came to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior goes in three parts. The first part is what your life was like before you came to know the Lord. 
The second part of a testimony is what your life or how you came to know the Lord. Then the third part is what your life is like after you came to know the Lord. So that's a proper testimony. What was you like before you got saved? How did you get saved? And what your life is like now that you are saved? You understand that your personal testimony is one of the most powerful tools that you have in your toolbox. One of the most powerful things that you have to be able to bring out, to be able to use to tell someone how you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, there's many people who've been legitimately saved for 30 years, but they still don't know how to give their personal testimony. And that's a shame because it's the most powerful thing that you have. See, you're not talking about what happened to someone else. You're talking about what happened to you. Your story, how you met the Lord, how your life was like before you came to know him. And then one day when you met him and then how your life has changed afterwards. You see, what we believe about Christianity, how we know it's true, is by the evidence of a changed life. That your life should be different from before you came to know the Lord to where you are now. And remember, it's God that does the change. It's him that makes the difference. And so what we see here is that Paul, he says, I'm happy, man. You give me a chance to tell people about what happened to me. I'm glad to do it. So he says, all right, guys. Let me tell you how I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And what we're going to do is we're going to see that his testimony goes in three parts. What his life was like before he came to know the Lord. How he came to know the Lord. And what his life was like after he came to know Jesus as his personal Savior. He gives his testimony and he does that. So as we're talking about Paul's testimony, the first thing we see here is that what his life was like before He knew the Lord. What his life was like before salvation. Notice with me as Paul addresses himself in verse 2. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself in this day before thee, touching all things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. So his testimony begins, verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they were to testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So he starts off his testimony like this. Before I came to know the Lord... I was a Jew. And people could come and testify, I was a very Jewish person. I was a very religious person. I came from the straightest sect of the Pharisees. I lived a religious life. I obeyed the rules. And you could have people come in and they could say, yeah, before Paul got saved, when he was still known as Saul, this is what he was like. And this is what he was like in school. This is what he was like before. He's giving a testimony. I was very religious before I came to the Lord. But just because you're religious doesn't mean you're saved. He says, I obeyed rules. And by the way, that's what religion does is it gives you a set of rules. We don't believe in a religion. We believe in a person. That it's not what we do that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. But he explains, I was religious. I was very religious before I came to know the Lord. Notice as he goes on. Verse 6, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise which is made of God unto our fathers. Under which promise the twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come, which for hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. He goes on and he gives a little uh, parenthetical seven and says, hey, by the way, I'm being judged for what we believed as a Jewish people. That. What I'm being judged for is the promises that God made, that God was going to send a redeemer. He says, I knew these promises. I didn't understand them, though. Do you know that there's some people who can understand that Jesus died for them, but never accept Jesus as their personal savior? You know, some people can understand that they're a sinner, but still not understand that they need Jesus to save them. There's some people that might even believe that Jesus can save them, but they need to realize they must personally accept Jesus as their savior. But he says, hey, 
I didn't change beliefs, by the way. I just realized I was trusting in me and not the Lord. So before I came to know the Lord, I was trusting in my works, my understanding, my religion, my way of doing things. Before I came to know the Lord, I was religious, but I was lost. Religion is not enough to save. Notice as he goes on, he says in verse 8, Why should it be thought that a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? He says, why is it? He says, the the amazing thing is people are fighting me that God raised people from the dead, which we believe is Jewish people. It's in the Bible that God is going to raise the dead. Why are we? Why did we fight against what God clearly said? You know, a lot of thing about religious people is that there's a lot of things in the Bible they don't understand and they reject it. Even today, the Jewish people reject Jesus Christ. But if you read Isaiah 53, it clearly talks about Jesus Christ. You read Psalm 22, it talks about how Jesus died on the cross. But yet the Jewish people who copied the scripture still reject it. Still do not believe it, don't understand it. They don't think it's true. Religion can give you full of ideas, but it does not save. Notice as he goes on, verse 9. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things. Notice this contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He says, as a Jewish person, I rejected Jesus. And I purposely did everything I could to go against what Jesus said. I rejected Jesus. I did not believe that he was God robed in flesh. I did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I did not accept the things. I rejected all of that. I believed in my religion. I believed I was right. And I purposely did everything I could to stop people from believing Jesus. You know, there's many religious people who try to keep people away from reading the Bible from themselves, from accepting the Lord as themselves for themselves. They say, you read this You do what we say. You listen to this. They'll give them rules and regulations. There are some people that say in order to go to heaven, you have to be baptized. That's not what the Bible says at all. But that's religion. There are some religions that say if you live a good enough person, guess what? You're going to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. There are some people that says if just as long as you show up to mass, you'll be all right. That's not what the Bible says. There are some religions that say, guess what? If you take this wafer and drink this drink and you do it regularly, you're going to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. Those things are contrary to what the Bible says. They're contrary to what Jesus Christ did for us, that Jesus did it all. Religion says I got to do something in order to make myself go to heaven. I've got to live a good life. I've got to do this. I've got to accomplish this. I've got to mark this off my list. Religion does not save. It cannot save. It will not save. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. So Paul, as he's given his testimony, he's being honest. He says, I was a religious person and I did the checklist. I was the most religious person most people ever knew. I lived right. I did not curse. I gave money to the church. I fasted weekly. I obeyed all these laws. The Pharisees would get to the place where they would count their steps on the Sabbath day. So that way they didn't take too many steps and break the law. Can you imagine that? How many times would you lose count during the day, right? No, I messed up. I got to go home. Oh, I don't want to take too many steps. Man, that would be a hard life to live to only take a certain number of steps on the Sabbath day. That'd be rough. You know, some of the other things that they did in order to make sure they stayed right. Paul did them all. He was very religious. Can you imagine the most religious person But just because you're religious doesn't mean you're saved. He says, I reject Jesus. I obey the the traditions, the rituals of my ancestors. And I did them better than all of them. But I still was not saved. Notice with me verse 10. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against him. Paul says, I was so much against people rejecting, or I was so much against Christ that I believe that you had to obey our law. You had to obey our religion that I would actually find people who believed in Jesus 
and I would drag them out of their houses. I would shut them in prison. And then at their trial, I would testify against them and they would be put to death. And I was glad to do it because I didn't want anyone believing in Jesus. I wanted everyone to obey my religion. Isn't that horrible? But Paul's given this testimony. He says, before I came to know the Lord, I was religious. Let me tell you how religious I was. And he would go off and he list all the things that he did. Even to the place where he killed people just because they did not believe his religion. You can't get more zealous than that, can you? But that doesn't save. You understand that the Muslim people believe that or those who follow the Quran, there are some that are convinced that if they were to kill themselves in a martyrdom and put on a bomb with them, that they would go to heaven. But do you understand? That's not what the Bible says at all. It's not your acts, but they are convinced of it. There are many other Christian religions that are convinced of their religion, but it's not about religion. It is a person. The Roman Catholic Church cannot save. The Methodist Church cannot save. The Church of Christ cannot save. Let me tell you something. The Baptist Church cannot save. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. By the way, it's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus communion. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. But Paul is saying, before I came to know the Lord, I was religious. I was super strict. I was a good person. But those things did not forgive my sins. Those things did not save me. Those things did not guarantee me a place in heaven. Those things kept me away from the Lord. Notice what happened in verse 11. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. You know what he did? He forced people to say, I reject Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. He twisted their arm and, and threatened their life and threatened to kill his kids. Could you imagine that? But that was Paul. He was convinced that Judaism was the only way. And that he would not even entertain the thought of something else. He said, being exceedingly mad against them, I pers persecuted them even to strange cities. That means cities that don't belong to Judah. In fact, Damascus. Damascus was not part of Israel. It's a foreign country. He says, I would go to foreign countries to go kill anyone who professed Christianity. Because I hate it that so much. I wanted them to obey my religion. He says, that's what it was like before I came to know the Lord. The next thing we see here as Paul has given his testimony is not only what his life was like before he came to know the Lord, but we see how he came to know the Lord. How he came to know the Lord. Notice with me in verse 12. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission of the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, and above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am. Am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, but rise and send upon thy feet, or stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and those things which I uh, I will appear unto thee, delivering from these people and from the Gentiles, uh, both <laughs> whom now I send thee. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So Paul says, now I told you what my life was like before I came to know the Lord, that I was very, very religious. I was zealously religious, but I was lost. I didn't know for sure I was going to heaven. I, I was missing something in my life. He says, but there was a time in my life when I was going to Damascus and in the middle of the road, there was a bright light, the presence of God. We fell down to our feet and Jesus spoke to me. You know what salvation truly is? Remember, salvation is not a plan. It is a person. You know what, want to know what salvation is? It's when you meet Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to you. 
You understand that there's many people who say, well, I'm a Baptist. Doesn't mean you know Jesus. I'm Catholic. Doesn't mean you know Jesus. Well, I keep the Ten Commandments. Doesn't mean you know Jesus. Salvation is a person. And salvation is when you come to the place where you realize I need a savior and I want him and he reveals himself. Do you understand the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior? The Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to move inside of your life. He lives inside of you. You become a new creature. You know God. You understand that if something as big as God comes to move in something as small as your heart, there's going to be changes. You see, the Bible talks about that Jesus himself said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. Born again. Well, Nicodemus, who he's talking to in John chapter 3, scratched his old silver head and said, I don't get it. It's not like I could crawl back into mom. How does that work? Jesus says you have to have two births. You have to have a physical birth. And you have to have a spiritual birth. If uh, Stanley, your mom's here, right? And you said, mom, was I born? She would first of all laugh at you. And say, of course you were. But mom, how do you know I was born? She goes, I was there, right? She could give you a time and a place where you were born. There was an event. There was something that occurred that moment. It didn't just slowly happen. There was a time where you were born. Well, the same thing's true about going to heaven. Going to heaven, you don't slowly become a Christian. It is an event. It is something that occurs. There's a time and there's a place. You should be able to describe the circumstances. You may not remember the exact time or the date, but you should remember the circumstances. What happened to you? Paul says, let me tell you how I came to know the Lord. I was walking on this road, going to this place. This is what time it happened. And the Lord met with me and I knew it was true and I accepted him. There should be a time and a place where you encountered this event. Where you accepted Christ and you met him. Salvation is not a plan. It is a person. Have you ever met with the Lord? We're not even saying, did you say a prayer? Because a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. When you say a prayer, you're giving Jesus permission to forgive you of your sins. But it is an event. There is a something you could go back to and said, this is what happened. Do you have that in your life? Paul did. He was able to go back and say, let me tell you the day that I met the Lord. Let me tell you when I encountered him. Let me tell you what happened. He said, before I came to know the Lord, I was very religious, but I was lost. But there was a time where I met Jesus and it changed my life. Notice with me as we talk about how we came to know the Lord. Notice as Jesus himself is telling Paul what happened. Notice if you don't mind. That the message that he was supposed to give. First of all, how Jesus sees us. Verse 18. To open their eyes. Paul is supposed to go to the Gentiles and deliver the message. And what's to happen? First of all, to open their eyes. Do you know that people who do not know Jesus as their savior, they are spiritually blinded. Meaning they cannot discern. They don't understand. They don't go up there. They, they don't understand that they're a sinner and because of their sin that they've offended a holy, righteous God. That God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them and they must personally accept Christ as their savior. You see, what happens is that people will cling to whatever hope they have, even if it's a false hope, but they'll hold on to it. Well, I'm holding on. I'm a good person. That's how I know I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I don't know if it works, but I'm holding on to it. I'm holding on to this because I'm Catholic. Oh, as long as I'm Catholic, I can't let go. As long, if I let go of being Catholic, th- then I'm not going to heaven. But those things don't save. What we're supposed to do is realize that Jesus is there and hold to Jesus. And we're going to heaven because of Jesus. Not because of our religion or background or good works. And that's, that God is saying, Paul, I'm sending you out to open their eyes. 
so that they can see because they are currently spiritually blinded. Notice this, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. You know what happened to people who don't know Jesus is their savior? They're in darkness. That's why we use the phrase that they're lost. They don't know the right way to go. Have you ever been lost and need someone to give you directions? Well, there's clear directions to heaven. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. But people are spiritually blind. They're in darkness. Notice what it says in verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan. You know what happened to people that don't know Jesus is their savior? They're satanically bound. That Satan has a hold of their life. That they can't stop sinning. That there's nothing they could do to make themselves a good person. They still sin. They still have an issue. They still have problems. Those things still come up. They can't help it. You know, Paul, before he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, was still a sinner. As hard as he tried to live a good life, he still was not perfect. He still was a sinner. But notice this. Not only what Satan, uh, how they were before they were saved... How Jesus saves us. But we also see how God saves us. Notice in verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from them darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. You know what we need most of all? We need our sins forgiven. You know what the one thing is that holds us back from being with God forever? It's our sins. That God is a perfect God. We know in the Bible it refers to God that he is holy, holy, holy. That he is perfect, perfect, perfect. But none of us are perfect. We've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. It is our sins that keep us far from God. And what we need is we need forgiveness of our sins. And that's what Jesus offers us. To forgive all of our sins. Not just the sins we used to do. But the stuff we're going to do today. And the stuff we're going to do in the future. Jesus paid it all. He offers us forgiveness of sins. Notice in verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. Notice this. And an inheritance among them that are sanctified. You know what? We also receive not only forgiveness, but fulfillment. You understand that God has so much more for you. The much more. That when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, He doesn't just forgive you of sins, but He also wants your joy to be full. He wants you to have a fulfilled life. He wants to give you so much more because you're now His children. And He wants to give good gifts unto His children. How much more shall He give the Holy Spirit to them? Oh, that he wants to fulfill us. He wants to give us these things in our life. That's what happens when you come to know Christ as his savior. Not only for uh, forgiveness, not only fulfillment, but notice verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. And an inheritance, notice this, among them which are sanctified. You understand that we have a fellowship Among them that are sanctified. That we can have fellowship one with another. Because you're forgiven and I'm forgiven. You understand the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. That by uh, uh, grace through faith were we saved. Not by works. Lest any man should boast. Do you understand that when we go to heaven. And someone says how'd you get here? We all have the same answer. By Jesus. By Jesus. Nobody can say you know how I got to heaven? Because I'm a great person. God has made it so no one could brag about how they got to heaven. We have to brag on Jesus. How did I get to heaven? By Jesus. And you know what? We have a fellowship because we all have the same story. I'm a sinner and my only hope was Jesus. And we have fellowship one with another because we have a common ground. You know, it doesn't matter who you are or how much you've done. Every one of us are sinners. Your pastor's a sinner. The pastor's wife's a sinner. My kids are sinners. You're a sinner as well. There's none righteous. No, not one. We all have the same story. We also have the same story. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves not sinners. Our only hope is Jesus. That's the only ground that we have. But we have great fellowship because of that. Because we're all equal. (laughs) 
It's, we're all sinners. Our only hope is Jesus. Look at what Jesus did for us. That we have fellowship among them that are sanctified. But notice something else. Not only do we have forgiveness. Not only do we have fulfillment. Not only do we have fellowship. But notice we have a good faith. (laughs) Notice in verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. That they may have forgiveness or receive forgiveness of sins. And an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith. That is in me. You know what? We have a faith in Christ. And that we all get to look the same place. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. You know how we get saved? It's only by Jesus. It's not what church you belong to. Or what Bible you carry. It's not um, what family you're born in. Where you're born in. When you're born in. It all matters. Did you come to Jesus Christ? And him and him alone. It's not off your baptism. It's not off your church membership. It's not off what you do or your religion. It is all based on Jesus. So Paul, as he's given his testimony, he talks about what his life was like before he came to know the Lord. Before I came to know the Lord, I was religious, but I was lost. I did my best, but my best was not good enough. In fact, my best hurt people. But there was a day that I met Jesus Christ. And boy, let me tell you. Woo! I got saved. I'm forgiven of my sins. I'm going to heaven. Not because of what I did. But it was all because of what Jesus did. Now we come to the third part of his testimony. How he came to know the Lord. um, What his life was like before he came to know the Lord. How he came to know the Lord. And what his life is like after he got saved. What his life was like after he came to know the Lord. Notice with me in verse 19. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. You know what he says? He says, first of all, I haven't been, I wasn't disobedient. That God has given me purpose. Oh, what a wonderful thing to have purpose. That God had a plan for me. And he has something he wants to do with me. And I was obedient to that purpose. He has given me purpose in my life. You know there's a lot of people who don't have purpose. There's a lot of people who don't know for sure that they're going to heaven. And they're wandering around aimlessly. They don't know what purpose is in life. I hear that uh, complaint so many times. Why am I here? I don't know why I exist. I don't know what my purpose is. Well, since I came to know the Lord, I do have purpose. He did have a plan for me. And he showed me what it is. And I can obey it. There is a purpose in my life. There's a reason why I'm here. Notice this. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. But was showed first unto them of Damascus and then at Jerusalem and throughout the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. He says, I've been just doing what God has told me to do. Just tell people my story of what God did for me and he could do the same thing to them. Verse 21, for these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. He says, hey, they've been trying to kill me ever since. He says, isn't it interesting? Before I came to know the Lord, everyone loved me. Man, that is a religious person. But for some reason, I'm trusting Jesus. They all want to kill me. That's something that's different now. That I lost some of my friends. That before I came to know the Lord, we used to do things together. Now I came to know the Lord. I don't want to do the same things they do. And they don't like me anymore because I don't go with them to the same places. Is that true about your testimony? Could you imagine or remember before you came to know the Lord? Some of you were drinking. Some of you were smoking. Some of you were doing other things. But since you came to know the Lord, you don't do those things anymore. And your friends say, why aren't you at the bar? Why don't you go into the drink? Why don't you watch this with me anymore? And what happens is that they fall away. They scratch their head and say something happened to them. That old person, he got religion. I say that in the south down there. They got religion. You know, something happens. You know why they say that? Because something happens to a person's life. And things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my life to Jesus. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my life to him. Notice as he goes on. Verse 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue this day witnessing both to small and great. Now, what that means is that to uh, 
common people to great kings. He's talking to kings now. Hey, I tell everyone the same story. That I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And our only hope is Jesus Christ. Notice this. He says, saying none other things than that which is in the prophets and the Moses did say should come. He says, I haven't changed anything. I just realized the Bible is true. And I just tell people what the Bible said. I didn't switch Bibles. I didn't go to the Book of Mormon. I didn't go to this thing over here. I'm still using the same Bible. And I'm just showing them, look, this is what the Bible says in Exodus. This is what the Bible says in Genesis. This is what the Bible says in Psalms. This is what the Bible says in Isaiah. And they all say, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. That God has a promise. And that we see Jesus all throughout the Bible. He says, I just have a better understanding. And I like to show people from the Bible. That this isn't someone's imagination. This just didn't come up from some plan. We're not in a cult. We're obeying what the Bible said. This is what the Bible clearly says. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Notice with me in verse 23. That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Do you know that phrases or that that ideas found All throughout the Bible. Think of the book of Genesis. You come to Abraham and Isaac going to Mount Moriah. And God has said, take thy son, thine own son, and lay him on the altar and I want you to kill him. And at the last minute, God said, stop. And I provided himself a lamb. And you know what? We know that we're sinners worthy of death. And God provided himself a lamb to take the place. You look in the book of Joshua and you come to the place of the scarlet thread. You understand that because she obeyed what was told and she believed God was going to keep his promises, her and her family was saved. We see that scarlet thread of redemption all the way through the Bible. You go to Psalm 22 and you see the story of Jesus as he's looking at himself dying on the cross. One thousand years before the event happened. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus died on the cross. It talks about a lamb being led to the slaughter. And it speaks about the sufferings of Jesus to give us forgiveness. All throughout Isaiah, it talks about giving light to the Gentiles. That God just didn't save the Jewish people. He gave it to all of the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That God has always had a plan. And that plan was that Jesus Christ was going to die for all of mankind. And that the Bible spoke about it from Genesis all the way through the entire Bible. It's in there. That we're not making something up. It's something that God had in mind. So we see the Apostle Paul as he takes time and he gives his testimony. We see that he talked about how his life was before he came to know the Lord. We see how he came to know the Lord. And what his life was like after he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. But now we come to the next thing. Not only Paul's testimony, but we see the court's trial. The court's trial. You understand that at this moment, Paul is not the one on trial. They think he is, but he's not. That what has happened is that the Apostle Paul has had the opportunity to give his testimony. And now every person of the court has to make their own decision on what they're going to do. You see, it's King Agrippa that's on trial. It's Bernice that's on trial. It's Festus that's on trial. It's every chief captain that's sitting there. They're the ones on trial. What are they going to do of Jesus? Paul is giving us testimony. And remember the greatest tool we have in our toolbox is what God did for me. And Paul said, before I came to know the Lord, I was religious but lost. Before I came to know the Lord, I was zealous. And and I did everything I was supposed to, even to hurt people. Because I thought that was right. But I realized one day that I was a sinner and my only hope was Jesus Christ and he saved me. And since then, God has given me purpose. Since then, I have ever better understanding. Since then, my eyes have been open. Since then, I'm no longer walking in darkness, but I'm walking in light. Since then, I've been telling everyone about what Jesus did for me. I've been telling everyone my story. And everyone in the court heard how his life was like before and how it's different now since he met Jesus Christ. So how does the court respond? They're on trial. Now the spotlight of the Holy Spirit puts it on them. How will they respond? Let's look at Festus first. Notice with me in verse number 25. uh, Verse number 24 rather. And as he, that's Paul, thus spake for himself. 
Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. <laughs> he said, the preacher's crazy. I mean, you're, you're smart. You know what you're talking about. You're just out of your mind. He said, I, I can't accept Jesus rose from the dead. I can't accept that God robed himself in flesh. I don't accept this. He said, you're crazy. And you know what? There's going to be some people who think we're crazy. But Festus came to the place. He came to the place of decision. What are you going to do with Christ? And he said, man, I just, I, I don't believe this. I just can't accept it. The tr- this is his trial. He came to the place where he had to make a decision. You're, you're, I can't accept it. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. Paul responded to him. Isn't it noticed that Paul is now carrying this conversation? They, they now have to respond. And Paul's the one that's correcting him. Paul's the one that's putting the sentence on him. Notice with me in verse number 25. But he, Paul said, I am not mad. I'm not crazy, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. He said, Festus, I'm not crazy. I'm telling you what's true. And so you're going to reject truth. It's your choice. I can't make you believe. But you're rejecting truth. This is true. So now we come up to the next person. The hot spotlight of the Holy Spirit moves from Festus. Moves to Agrippa. Notice as it goes on. Verse 26. For Agrippa knoweth these things. Before whom I speak freely. And I am persuaded. That none of these things were hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. So now he goes to uh, to Agrippa. And he says "All right, Agrippa. You've heard of these things. This wasn't done in a corner. This isn't the first time you've heard it. You've heard the story before. You've heard that Jesus died. You heard that he rose again. You heard that many people are following after him. This is not done in a corner, Agrippa. You have heard this. What are you going to do with this message? Festus, this is the first time he's heard it. And he just thinks we're crazy. But you've heard this all of your life, Festus. But you still never believed. What are you going to do now, Agrippa? What are you going to do now, Agrippa? How does Agrippa respond? Verse, uh, Verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Agrippa said, hey, I'm a Jewish person now. I grew up knowing all of the Jewish Old Testament. You've almost convinced me, Paul. I'm, I'm almost there. You know, almost doesn't work. Remember what I said before that being born again is an event. It happens. You weren't almost born. You were either born or you weren't born. To become a Christian, you don't almost become a Christian. It doesn't say, well, if I get exposed to it enough, I'll slowly become a Christian. You either accept or you reject. Do you know that that what happened to King Agrippa? He rejected the Lord. He said, I believe this is true, but I'm not ready. I believe this is true. I'm almost there, but I'm not. What he did is he finally said no. You know, when you say, I'll do it later, you're saying no right now. Agrippa said, no, I'm not accepting this. No, I'm almost there. It sounds convincing, but I'm not willing to give up what I believe. I'm not willing to change my ways. I'm not willing, whatever excuse he had, I'm almost there, but I'm not. Almost, almost persuaded, but still lost. Notice as it goes on, as Paul rebukes him, verse 29. And Paul said, I would to God that not, that not only thou, but all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether as I am except these bonds. He says, I want you to have what I have, not almost what I have. I want you to have what I have except for these chains here. I want you to have that joy. I want you to have that purpose. I want you to have that fulfillment. I want you to know that you're forgiven. I want you to know that you know that you know. Do you understand that God wants you to know that you know that you know? 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. Do you understand, dear friend, that if you don't know that you're going to heaven, you good possibility is that you're not going to heaven. See, God didn't make it where you have to hope or guess or think. He wants you to know that you're going to heaven and why. 
For example, if I was to come up to you and say, are you 100% sure that if you die today that you go to heaven? Could you give me a yes or a no? You should be able to give me a yes. But if I was to follow up that question and say, if Jesus himself met you outside the gates of heaven and said, why should I let you come into my heaven? What would you tell Jesus? Would you tell him because I lived a good life? Did you t- would you tell Jesus that because I tried to keep the Ten Commandments? Would you tell him because I, I did good things? Would you tell him because I was religious? Those answers won't fly. The only acceptable answer is that I believed in your promises and I did what it said. That you can't lie. You know why I'm going to heaven? Not even because I said a prayer. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me. And I just accepted what he did. I believed on his promises. And he's going to do what he said he was going to do. I'm trusting in what Jesus did on Calvary. That's why I'm going to heaven. I trust you. Not anything that I've done. Not any good works. I'm not going to heaven because I was baptized. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a church member. I'm not going to heaven because I'm an American. I'm going to heaven because my only hope was you, Jesus. Is that your testimony? Is that where you could clearly say that I know from the Bible that I'm going to heaven because of John 3.16. I know I'm going to heaven because of Romans 10.13. I know I'm going to heaven because of 1 John 5.13. Could you show me from the Bible that you're going to heaven? Could you open up the Bible and say, this is how I know I'm going to heaven because of this. You should have a Bible knowledge of why you're going to heaven. But Paul looks to him and says, man, I don't want you to hope or guess or know. I want you to know without a doubt that you're going to heaven. I want you to be like me and have purpose and fulfillment. I want you to have all that I have except for these chains. I want you to have what's in here. And you can if you accept Jesus as your personal savior. So we saw Festus and we saw Agrippa. But then we also see the court. So the spotlight widens up and it shows the whole court. So what is their decision? Is one of them going to say, I decided to follow Jesus? Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 30. And when he, Paul, had thus spoken, the king rose up. And the governor. And Bernice. And they that sat with him. And when they were gone aside. You know what happened? They had a silent vote. They didn't say, well, I don't, I don't accept it. They didn't say, well, maybe. They said nothing. And you know what? To make no decision is to make the wrong decision. They didn't decide anything. They left and said, that sounds nice. But they did not personally decide to accept Jesus as their Savior. And you know what that meant? That they were not saved. You have to make a decision to accept Jesus as your Savior. It doesn't happen by accident. You don't wake up one morning and go, Woohoo! I'm a Christian! Remember, there's a point in time where you personally accept Jesus as your Savior. That it is a purposeful, willful act on your part. I accept Him. Has there ever been a time where you personally accepted Jesus as your Savior? That's what's required. You see, I come from a place called the Bible Belt. And the Bible Belt, everyone knows that they're a sinner. Everyone knows that because of their sin they deserve to go to hell. Everyone believes in Jesus. But very few people have personally asked Jesus to be their Savior. You know you could believe the first three things but still go to hell? You can go to hell believing that Jesus would save you. The reason why you'd go to hell is because you never personally accepted him. Has there ever been a time in your life where you personally accepted Jesus to be your savior? You should be able to go to that place. If not, let me tell you the good news. You could decide right now. You see, what's happening is that the spotlight is turning from me to you now. And it is your chance to make a decision. Now for those of you who have already accepted Jesus as your Savior, praise the Lord. You've already come to the place where the spotlight hit you and you said, I accept. I accept. I accept. But maybe perchance there's someone in here 
that has never came to the place where they accepted that free gift. Let me tell you, you can do that now. This is your opportunity. This is your chance. You may not be guaranteed a chance later. This is the moment you will decide yes or no right now. As for the court, they got up and they didn't make any choice, which is already a choice of no, not right now. So as we come to this time now, Paul gave his testimony and explained what his life was like before he came to know the Lord, how he came to know the Lord, and what his life was like afterwards. That the people had to make a choice. Do I accept this or not? Festus said, you're crazy. Agrippa said, I'm almost there. Everyone else made no choice at all, which was already a choice of no. What will you decide? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.